good morning to you all and good morning to all of the campuses. I'm honored and I'm one of the chosen. How about you? Are y'all one of the chosen? Is it, are there any chosen in here? I want, I want to uh, just make a special warm welcome to all of those who are like, hey, I'm, I'm thinking about being one of the chosen. I will tell you, since the age of 16, I will let you guess my age, but since the age of 16 is the best decision I ever made to come to know Jesus. I've been married come 4th of July, 25 years. I was, I was just checking, just checking. These are like my amen meter questions right now. I have four beautiful children, uh, ages 9 to 20, and I'm, I'm a blessed man. I'm just a blessed man. I'm not ignorant of uh, the culture. I'm not ignorant of the challenges that we all face in our families. And I'm just so thankful that God chose me. I'm just so thankful that God chose my father who got out of the Navy years ago because he needed to take care of his family. And when he took, got out of the Navy because his father left his family, he was the second born and it was his responsibility to help my grandmother take care of the household. That's when it brought him to a place where someone invited him to gather with God's people. And it changed the story that could have been for my life. I'm grateful for what God has done. And I want to share the good news that God's fingerprint, amen? I'm telling you, you're going to see it. You'll see it in your own life. The more you say yes to him, the many years you will live, you will continue to see God's fingerprint, not just in your life, but even before you were born. God was thinking about you, cared about you. How many can say, I am chosen? Hey, I'm just checking. I'm just checking. Say with me, I am chosen. Amen. Uh, today, uh, it's my duty to share a portion of a message that God has opened up in my life to share across the country. And it's been a blessing to receive this. Uh, many of you know that our country and our culture has been facing division. And I found out throughout my life and my story that it seems like no matter what happens with me in some form or another, God's calling me to deal with the topic of division. And my wife and I started off before we were married, we actually started a marriage ministry. So we were dealing with division in the home. And then we started doing unity conferences in our city. And we started bringing churches together across different ethnic groups to worship and to be one and to show the world that the minute you come to Christ, you're actually born into a brand new family. And you're instantly one. And that's why the Bible tells us to renew our minds because then we have to begin to think different that says, hey, wow, I'm part of a new family. Some of us don't know peace in family. Some of us only know chaos in family. But now I'm a part of a family that is commanded to encourage me every single day. How many like a family like that? It has made me who I am today, and I thank God for it. I want to share with you, out of the scriptures, the heart behind a lot of the message that we share across the country. The beautiful thing is we created this training called the Dream Clock. And we actually do it in corporate America. Uh, next month, we'll be going to a major company. I'm under oath and uh, contract not to say who it is, but with a major company to 1,000 employees to share this very training. 
And the beautiful thing that I want to tell you is the beautiful truth in the Word of God, it works for every area of your life. It will transform your life. It will show you how to be a great dad. It will show you how to be a great husband, a great son. How do I know that? Because it showed me how to do those things. I was so thankful we were with our children for a week over spring break. And it's those little things you listen for that your children will say. And, you know, you're kind of aware of the fact that, you know, I I make some mistakes and and they know it. I I, I call it barking. I start barking every night. Anybody bark in here? You know, I, don't, I won't say I'm a dog, but I do bark sometimes. It's like right when you're like super tired. I work more than one job. I'm bivocational. I do a lot of stuff because I just feel like God told me I was born to change the world. So every door he opens, I'm trying to get through it. I'm trying to see the world get the opportunity to understand this Jesus that changed my life. So I work a lot. And it was just beautiful to sit there with my children. And they said, you know something? We understand and that's why we're glad to be a part of this family because we know what we're a part of, what we are about. But that's the family of God. I want to invite you to read with me out of John chapter 4. And I want to introduce this term called the harvest. Today we want to talk about the fact that we're chosen and that God wants us all to know that we are not overlooked. But not only are we not overlooked, but he wants us to be the agents to communicate to everyone that they are not overlooked. And this is just beautiful to me. John chapter 4, and I'm going to read verses 35 and 36. And then I'm going to give you the context of this statement. If you've been in Christ for a while, you've probably heard this phrase somewhere along the way. It says, you know the saying, four months between planting and harvest, but I say, wake up and look around The fields are already ripe for harvest. The harvesters are paid good wages, and the fruit they harvest is people brought to eternal life. What joy awaits both the planter and the harvester alike. Now, we we use terms in the church a lot of times in the family of God. And so sometimes say we kind of got to double click on them so we all understand what we're saying together. Okay, so uh, just think to yourself, don't answer out loud, but how many can guess uh, where I grew up? Okay, just get the answer in your mind. Uh, Y'all ready? And I will give a dollar to anyone in the hallway who gets it right. Just get it in your mind. Tell me when we get out there, and I will trust that you tell the truth in Gateway Church. Amen? Y'all ready? I grew up in... Iowa. All right, all right, all right. Just meddling with you just a little bit. How many know that God calls people from Bethlehems, amen? And he he sends families to different places. Do y'all hear what I'm saying? I'm from Iowa. I'm glad to be from Iowa. But there's 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 something up there called corn. And if you have ever seen too much corn, you cross the borders of Iowa. Do you hear what I'm saying? Y'all ever used to watch the Flintstones and you'd see that scene behind Fred when he was running? He ran like five miles through the living room, right? And the back scene just kept rolling over and over and over again. Well, that's Iowa. All you will see is corn, 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 corn. But what I want to explain to you that to somebody, that corn is good news. To somebody, that corn is called the harvest. 
And now early on, you can see across the fields, but there's a time when the corn will get so tall, right? So tall that, that you can hardly see over the corn, so you can't even tell how far the fields go. So when I say the term harvest, I want you to think about that result something that you want to celebrate, something that you want to work towards, something that you reach for, and it's just a lot of that thing, that beautiful thing. And I want to give you one of God's secrets. One of God's secrets is simply to do this. Find out what he's reaching for and join with him. Then you will see his miracles and his power working with you in your life. You're like, I'm praying over a relationship. I'm praying over a child. I'm praying over a job situation. I'm praying to, to discover my future. If you will partner with what he wants, if you can grab that dream, that harvest, and partner with him, you can be sure that your prayers are being heard. So today we want to grab what is that harvest? What is that thing that God is reaching for? What is that thing that he longs for? What is that thing that heaven gets excited about? And it tells us right here in the scriptures in John chapter 4 that the fields are already ripe, but it says that they, the, the harvest is people, in verse 36, brought to eternal life. That says that's what the harvest is. Let me translate that for you. The harvest was Clarence Hill Sr., not me, I'm a junior. I had to stop my family from calling me junior, by the way. That's another story. It just wasn't cool when I was growing up. But the harvest that brought heaven joy was when Clarence Hill Sr. heard the word of God, realized that his broken world of his dad walking out on the family him having to leave his Navy career, give up all of his future, give up everything he was reaching for, turn back and take care of his family, all of a sudden God shows up and tells him, I'm actually still there and I'm right there with you. What got, brought God great joy was because when he saw my dad make that decision back in 1976, 66, excuse me, 1966, when he made that decision, you know what God saw? He saw me standing here at Gateway Austin talking to all of you about how good he is. Some of you might be discouraged right now because you don't recognize the harvest because it's so small and you feel like you're holding on to things and prayers you're praying about your own family and things that mean so much to you. That's because you only caught a glimpse, a piece of hair of the timeline and God has seen the thing all the way to the end and you and your children and your children's children and all the lives you touch are a part of that cornfield that you can't see past. Walk with me just for a second, because this is beautiful. This scripture tells us that there's a harvest that God wants. There's something that he's reaching for. And if I can reach for the same thing, then something beautiful is going to happen. Let me set up this scenario. This John chapter 4 is the story of the woman at the well. The reason we have a solution that literally was on the front page of the newspaper in Oklahoma, I was supposed to not tell y'all. I was thinking about not telling y'all where I live now. 
because it's going to test to see if you have the unity of the spirit. <laughs> I'm from Norman, Oklahoma. Did y'all hear that? I'm from Sooner Country. I'm just checking to see if y'all still are open to the Word of God right now. <laughs> all right, all right, I'm t just testing you a little bit. If, if, if we can grab this beautiful truth, he said, okay, here's a harvest. But Jesus, when did you say that? When did you say lift up your eyes for the harvest is ripe? Where were you standing? Can I take you into the scene? When Jesus made that statement, it was after he came into an encounter with what is popularly called the woman at the well. This was a Samaritan woman. Jews did not hang out with Samaritans. Jesus broke all of these social laws and spoke to this woman anyway. Fast forward to verse 35 and 36, and Jesus is surrounded by all of the men in the city. He was surrounded, he and the disciples were surrounded by Samaritans. So picture you're on I-35, you're heading up to Iowa, you're surrounded by cornfields. Can y'all see this right? I'm the only one in this room who can see over the corn. Are y'all still there? Okay, so you're asking me who else is there, and I'm trying to tell you, behind the first row of corn, there's more corn. <laughs> y'all got it, right? And in John 4, guess what the corn was? It was people, but it wasn't just people, they were Samaritans. This is just the violent, beautiful, amazing love of God. I hope you understand this. And I'm going to help you as we go through. But these were Samaritans, a group of Jews sent to share the heart of God were surrounded by a sea, a harvest of Samaritans. Do you get that? He blew up his disciples' minds. So he's saying to his disciples, the harvest is ripe. They're thinking, man, how are we going to get this ministry going? Man, how are we going to do the things that Jesus does? And he's telling them, your brain has been trained for Samaritans to not be even in your sight. You see them, but you don't see them. They're standing right there. And so when I say harvest, to a Jewish disciple, they're thinking about all of their Jerusalem friends and everybody they grew up around, not the group that the Jews hated. And there Jesus is saying, the harvest is ripe. You're surrounded by an expression of the love of God, which has no respect of persons. I don't know who you are in this room, but there's always someone in here that no matter what you say, they feel like they're the least person in the whole room. That if God's calling someone or to do something, they're like, he must be talking to somebody on the front row or sitting over there or with the beautiful family. I don't even have all of my children in the same city or I'm divorced and now I feel weird even sitting in this room because everybody else must have perfect marriage. There's always someone sitting in the room and boy, if you ever say the name of Jesus, you're going to hear his voice say, I'm talking to you.
I set all of this good news up to reach you. And the reason you're not going to be overlooked is because I'm going to raise up Gateway Austin, and they're going to go out to Austin, and there's not going to be an overlooked person in the whole city. I really believe I'm supposed to say this. I hope you understand that something's at work in Gateway that God desires so much. Something beautiful is in the works in this movement that he's given you to steward. Even somebody who's here for maybe the first time, God has brought you into a space because he's looking for a people of God who will express the harvest beyond every cultural ethnic wall that has ever stood in this country. And he's going to do it through the house of God. Matthew 28, 18 through 20, makes a phrase that says, go and make disciples of all the nations. Now, that's a very common statement. And in verse 18, I want to read this portion to you of Matthew 28. This is what is commonly called the Great Commission. He says, Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all, to obey all the commands I have given you and be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. I want to focus on the phrase, go and make disciples of all the nations. Now, when you hear that phrase, make disciples, some of you kind of might feel like the crusades or forcing people to think things that they don't want to think. I just tell people, look, my, everybody in our church knows Clarence Hill likes, likes chocolate chip cookies. I'm just mentioning that just in case some of you had made some fresh this morning and you wanted to bless a pastor. But if I find some good chocolate chip cookies, I'm telling somebody else about it. I think it's my duty to share with others things that I enjoy. I just call it being human. So I don't want you to even take more of a religious stance when you hear go and make disciples of all nations. Go share with other people the freedom you've experienced. Amen? Look, Clarence didn't just get saved. My life was transformed. I wasn't the good kid. You'd have thought I was the good kid. I was a virgin when I got married, but my soul was not a virgin. I was everything that lust could describe. And I had no idea I was so far against God's heart. And now he transformed me, married 25 years, three beautiful daughters, because God cleansed a sick and unhealthy soul. I know his power changes people. And I know God gives second chances. I was the church kid. I was the preacher's kid. And his mercy found me. So you can't tell me to say, Clarence, don't tell others. I have to tell you to be a disciple, to follow Jesus is the best thing you can do. Because if you just say yes to what he says, you will learn maybe 5, 10, 15 years later why it was so wise to do it the way he said to do it. 
You may not be able to value now everything that he says to do, but there are things that will fast forward your life in wisdom if you just do what he said to do. I want to share some of that with you. Number one here, the nations. And when it says go and make disciples of all the nations, that term nations in the Greek is ethnos, from which we get the word ethnic group. So I don't want you just to think traveling to other countries because I'm going to tell you right now, America needs those who know and love Jesus. Yes, 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 I'm telling you. America needs somebody who can look past politics and look past all of these things that divide and be able to bring the beauty of the love of God. We need that now. But it means says, go make disciples. Bring forth lives that are impacted from every ethnic group on earth. Y'all, the fact that this country is a melting pot is like one of the greatest opportunities in the world to show the beauty of the harvest. I mean, even when the Bible says to go, you know, there were so many years where it was like, oh, that means that you're crossing an ocean. And for some of us, Several of us, one of these days, we will cross oceans to take the love of God throughout the world. But for now, the ocean for some of us is just a highway where we can find someone of a different ethnos, where we can find, for some of us, it's going next door. For some of us, it's being a neighbor. For some of us, it is someone not even of an ethnic group, but it's a wealth class where you might look up and realize, oh, my goodness, what do I say when I go into the, through the drive-thru at McDonald's and I'm stuck right there? Do you see a person standing there or do you just see someone who has a job to serve you fast and help you get out of there? Are you so filled with the love of God that you see a person who might just need to hear, hey, how you doing? Every place I can go to ooze the love of God, I want to do it. How many know there's some social laws that we actually respect and there's some social laws that we need to go against? One of them that we try to respect, I think, is that I think with men, Pastor Carlos, you're not supposed to talk in the restroom, are you? I, I, I don't know. All I know is when I went to the airport, I crossed by a guy who was cleaning in the restroom, and I just noticed he, he would not give eye contact because he was not used to people saying hello. And that bothered me. It bothered me that he felt like he was less than me. It bothered me that another human being would not lift up his eyes and look at me in the eye or even have any expectation to be greeted like a human being, just like everybody else that was running in and out of the airport. I say, you know, guess what? I'm going to take a chance on him frowning at me. I'm saying hi. That's my little way of expressing the love of God and saying that God wants to tear down the walls just because you don't have some special seating and an assistant like me who covers my calendar. I don't, even, I don't even read all my email. Someone else reads all my emails. I have three email boxes. I have someone who runs all of that for me, but they're a janitor. Are they lower than me in the God's eyes? No. And you got to be careful in the kingdom because they're probably greater. I love this good news. There's an us and there's a them in the world's that we live in. 
There's us's and them's. I mean, the whole story, I, I'm, I'm explaining to you every divided situation in the world. There's an us and them. There are Sooners and Longhorns. Amen. All right. If I root for the Sooners right now, how would you feel about me? There's us's and them's everywhere. Sometimes it's ethnicity. Sometimes it's backgrounds. Sometimes it's just wealth class. Sometimes it's occupations. Do you realize there are people that you, we walk past every day where we're just trained not to see them? You, you, you saw them standing there, but you don't greet them. You don't say hello. And then there's other people where you're like, oh, I hope they say hello to me because you see them from a distance. There's things that the world values, but there's things that God values. That puts Jesus standing amidst Samaritans because, see, he grew up in a world that had a very clear us and them, and I want to share that with you. Before I close, John 4 and verse 4 says, Jesus had to go through Samaria. Now I'm backing you up to the start of this story. Jesus, he had to go through Samaria on the way. Why did he have to go through there? Why did they bring out that point? Because Jews walked around Samaria. That's right. Jews, all of their lives were trained not to go through Samaria. And if you study the story between Jews and Samaritans, you would understand that the Samaritans intermarried with Gentiles or other nations or other ethnos, and that was against the Scriptures. They also moved the place of the temple, and they created their own temple on Mount Gerizim, and that's right there in John chapter 4. And so they violated Scripture, and now they're their own people group, separate from those who are now Jews, and the Jews said, we will have no dealings, we will not even be around them. So they, would, they even felt like their water was unclean. And they went around, y'all, the principles of division are the same. You don't eat with them. You, you don't greet them. You don't hang around with them. You don't talk well about them when they're not around. Us and them is always the same. Everybody has an us and them. Your us's are simply the people group that you're most familiar with. They're the people group that if you walked in the room, they wouldn't change what they're talking about. They're the group where if something happens on the news, you know what they're thinking. If they pass out a test and say, what's that group over there thinking? You're like, oh, I know what we be, we're thinking about right now. Even if you agree or don't agree, you know what they're thinking. That's your us group. There's always a them group. And to the Jews, the Samaritans were the thems. And I want to show you that Jesus tore down those walls. Verse 7, soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, please give me a drink. He just broke, broke the rules. And he's drinking water from the hands of a Samaritan. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into to the village to buy some food. Verse 9, the woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, you are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? You're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan. Why are you asking me for a drink? Jesus shocked this woman. I want to ask you today, who have you shocked lately by saying hi? I want to ask you right now, what side of town are you not supposed to be on where you show up to say I love you? Because you know what the opportunity is? 
it's so obvious you shouldn't be there that there must be something greater driving you if you have good intents. And they might test your intents. They might test your heart. But, man, what a, a canvas for the beautiful story of God to be painted upon. Jesus, what are you doing standing in the middle of a Samaritan village? And they are begging him to stay. Because the love of God is greater than anything we've experienced in this earth. Family of God, I want to jump. I'm going to jump down to just how do we respond. Matthew 5, 46 and 47. Because this family is called to this thing. This family is called to show the love of God. Matthew chapter 5. This is how beautiful the love of God is. He knows when the world overlooks us. He knows when the world does not see us. And man, what an opportunity to look someone in the eye. Don't let the world get you so wrapped up in that phone that you go dead face. Don't go blue screen face. Don't lose your emotion. Don't lose the ability to hug. I mean, the phones are literally destroying marriages and families. Talk to each other. Hug one another. Hold your child till they get mad at you. You hear what I'm saying? Let me go. Let me go. Nope. Let me go. I mean, just get good and chubby and hug them as long as you can. Y'all hear what I'm saying? Just rebuke the world. Matthew 5, 46, 47, it says, if you love only those who love you, what reward is there for that? Even collects, tax collectors do that much. If you're kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else. Another version says, if you greet only your friends, how are you different from anyone else? Even pagans do that. As I close right now, I simply want to lead in a prayer right now to say, hey, we as a family of God, we hear the calling to the harvest. This is what the Lord wants. I want you to think about right now, who would be them to you? The Samaritans were the them to the Jews, to the Jewish disciples. They were the ones who lived over there. And I tease sometimes and I say, as we say in Oklahoma sometimes, them their people. Who are them their people to you? Who would be shocked if you said hello? Who would be shocked if you stopped and had a sincere conversation with them? We want to pray right now that as you leave, that you would lift your eyes and see the harvest all around you. Father, we thank you this morning for Gateway Austin. We thank you for every campus that's represented right now, that as they go out throughout the city of Austin, they would bring the love of God in such a mighty way. There's a waiter, a waitress, there's a janitor, there's someone outside, there's a wealthy person that usually gets ignored by those who have less Someone's going to be shocked at the beautiful love of God pouring out through his body, his people. And even someone today is hearing that there's something about this Jesus that I need in my life. God, open every heart in this room and let your plans for us prevail over everything. And let our children and our children's children bring this love, this beautiful harvest to every city on earth, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen and amen.